Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. Well, we've been looking at the red letters in our Bible and seeing what Jesus has to say about certain topics. So today we're going to look and see what did Jesus have to say about money. And I think you're going to be surprised what he has to say about money. And let me, let me also be clear, he says a lot about money. In fact, in Scripture, it's estimated, if you kind of go through the Scriptures, he, it's estimated there's 2,350 Bible verses on money. And then compare that to there's about 500 Bible verses on prayer and grace. And so the disparity is huge. Jesus has a lot to say about money. But I think you're going to see a common theme that we're going to talk about today because we're looking at one of the main points where he, he looks at this topic of money. And, and what you're going to see is the theme is, is that he's after our heart. He's not after our money. In fact, you're going to also see, I think if you look at all the scriptures, Jesus never really passes the plate. Jesus never really makes the big ask. In fact, he challenges us to know that if our hearts are right, if our hearts are in the right place, then our pocketbooks are basically going to follow. But you know what? Jesus doesn't need our money. He doesn't want our money. He wants our heart. Because once he gets our heart, everything just kind of falls into place. The kingdom is funded, your family kind of balances out, and Jesus has your heart. He's got a listening person who is listening to his voice. You know what Mother Teresa said about money? Listen to what Mother Teresa said about money. She said, I fear just one thing, money. She said, greed was what motivated Judas to sell Jesus. Money is an interesting topic, and we're going to look at it today. We're going to figure out what all is going on, and the reality is is that talking about money just makes us uncomfortable, even though Scripture talks about it a whole lot. Talking about money is uncomfortable, but here's, here's the common theme of Jesus. He says our attitude towards money is an indicator of our heart towards God. Our attitude towards money is an indicator of our heart towards God. Jesus says clearly that we'll look at, you cannot serve two masters. And he defines it even more clearly and says you cannot serve money and God. Let me pray and we'll move forward. Father, we love you. Thank you for the all that you're doing. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your peace. And Father, we thank you for what you've blessed us with. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears, those who are listening uh, online, those who are in this room, those who are in Resonate, I pray that our ears and our hearts would be open to you for what you have to say about such an uncomfortable topic, Lord. And we love you, we praise you, and we pray that you again would just open our ears and may we hear your words, not mine, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. And that's where we're going to pick up today in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. We've, we've picked two different passages out of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to finish up today with this third topic, 
about money, and then we're going to move into some other uh, red-letter lessons. But take a look at what it says. And in fact, if you, uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word in this room, there should be some under the seats up in the balcony in the pockets uh, in the Resonate area. There would be some in the coffee shop. And so please make sure you get those. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, keep it. If you know someone that needs the Bible, give it to them because we want them to have that. So take a look. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and we'll read on through 24. Uh, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Rather, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And he says this, wherever your heart is, there are the desires of your Wherever your treasure is, my apologies, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. It's an important verse. That's where we're going to grab our big idea for the day. The big idea for the day is based on that verse, and it goes like this. Follow your money, and you'll find your heart. Follow your money, and you'll find your heart. He goes on to say, I'm going to skip those two verses right in between. Verse 24, he says this, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. It's impossible. And so our big idea today is this, follow your money and you'll find your heart. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. When you think about following your money, when you follow your money, you're going to find your heart. You're going to find your values. You're going to find your belief system. And, and, and so I, I would propose this. If, if you're going to follow your money, I believe that you can discover the values, you can discover belief systems by looking in someone's garage. Think about it. For those of you in here, I know of one that drives a Prius, you have a value. And some of you might say, well, that value is he wants to save the environment, you know, low carbon footprint. To that, I say nay, nay. I think you're cheap. <laughs> that, that's the bottom line. And, uh, and I'm sorry. But think about your values there. If someone pulls up in a minivan, what do you think? Well, they have a large family. They probably value family. If someone pulls up in a big truck, what do you think? I'll let you define this. There, there's a difference. <laughs> Everybody, truck is usually bigger than me, so you got to be careful. But, uh, but if they pull up in a truck, a big truck, what do they value? They value their carbon footprint? Probably not. But then also, there's a different person that pulls up in a big truck. If it's dirty, that's one value. And then if it's a big truck, but it's shiny and the tires are armored, that's another value. And again, I'll let you decide what those values are. But let me share this with you. I have a belief system about a particular vehicle, and that vehicle is Toyota. I believe that Toyota is the most dependable car that you can drive. That's just what I believe. And, and, and no, no comments, I don't need you to throw anything at me, but, but just in my opinion, Toyota is going to get you the furthest and probably on the most, you know, economical way. However, I drive a 21-year-old Jeep. And let me tell you something about Jeeps. 
And no Jeep owner will even be offended. Jeeps leak. That's what they do, okay? And so Jeeps are not dependable. They're, they're, you're going to spend some money on them. But at the end of the day, I believe that Toyota is the best. But my behavior, I drive a Jeep. And so my belief system when it comes to cars does not match my behavior. In fact, you know what I value more than uh, dependability over Toyota? I value form, function, and fun. Because all those you find better in a Jeep than in a Toyota, typically. But so I have placed those values over dependability of which I firmly believe in. You ask anybody who drives a Toyota, they love them. Uh, Dalton, our campus pastor, he has, a, he has a Camry with over 300,000 miles on it. 300,000, and it looks terrible. <laughs> but that's not Toyota's fault, okay? That's Dalton's fault. But she's still going. That's, that's what's going on. When it, when it comes to Jesus, you, you can't have a different belief system and different values when it comes to Jesus. When it comes to Jesus, what you believe in, your actions have to follow up. Your values have to follow up. There, there's no wiggle room in there. If we truly believe in Christ, nothing else will have greater value. Nothing. You cannot serve two masters. And so Jesus tells us you cannot serve God and money. One is going to rule over the other. And now I want to back up. I want to put wealth into perspective just a little bit. Think about wealth, and I want you to think about your own finances. And I'm, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Please don't. But if I were to ask you in this room or over in the venue, if you feel like that you are a rich person, raise your hand. And I would venture to say if we truly did that, probably nobody in this room or in the venue would actually raise their hand. There's a reason for that. You see, when it comes to feeling rich, we have a different perspective on what we want, what our heart's values are, what our desires are. If, if you're in here or in venue and, and you make $35,000, then you have a number of what would make you rich. If I were talking to somebody, we had a conversation, got a $35,000 annual year budget, and we came up with, you know, if you had, let's double it, $70,000, then that is your number for what a rich person needs to have. Now, if you're in here and you make $70,000, you don't feel rich. In fact, your number gets a little bit higher. And so you, you see the concept? It's, it's where we are. It's that, that idea of content is, is gone in our culture. It, it is gone. What, what Jesus does is he's going to affirm something that our, our heart needs to match what we value. And our money is a good indicator of what we value and what we truly believe. So, Jesus affirms, hang with me a bit, Jesus affirms what we call percentage giving. And rest easy, I'm not about to throw out a number, I'm going to let you decide that. But Jesus affirms percentage giving in this way. There's two types of giving, there's, there's dollar giving and percentage giving. If I were to lay a $100 bill on this table right now, it means something to me and something totally different to you. 
For some of you, that $100 bill would have crazy amount of value. To others, not much. And you see, dollar giving is defined by dollars, but percentage giving is defined by percentage. Uh, remember the story of Jesus. He tells the story of the widow who gave what is called a widow's mite. A widow's mite in our economy is even less than a penny. And so when it comes to giving a penny, it's not much. But Jesus, he noticed the widow who put just the small little mite in the offering plate. Now here's what goes on in biblical times. They did it a little bit differently. They would have big, big cisterns for the most part. And as people would come up, come up the worshipers would come up, they would, they would throw their money in. Now, if there was paper money back then, they wouldn't use it. You know why? No noise. So you want that noise. And so they, they would gather up the coins, the gold, the silver, whatever, and they would drop it in and so it would make a big splash. You know, everybody would know, oh, he's given a lot. That's dollar. It kind of happens in here. And I'll be honest with you, it happens with me. Uh, I give online. Highly recommend it. It's made me much more consistent. I actually uh, give more. I give consistent. And, 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 and it, it is truly a blessing for me because uh, it, it's, just, it's taken care of. But when that plate passes on a Sunday morning in church, I feel guilty. Not the Lord looking down on me, but I just, I just feel like, well, maybe I need to put something in so people, you know, I'm one of the pastors here, and, you know, I look kind of cheap, you know. And so it, you just have that feeling, and, that, and that's, that's earthly stuff. That's not heavenly stuff, right? But, but Jesus, he notices not the one that gave a lot. He noticed the one that gave a little that represented a lot. He was blown away, not with her gift. He was blown away with her heart. And it wasn't even the percentage amount that he was blown away with. He was blown away with the fact that this woman has such a heart for God that she would give so much of what she has. Wealth and perspective is You know, $35,000 a year in the world's economy, if you take $35,000, if you're a $35,000 a year earner just at that level, you, in the world's economy, are in the top zero point, no, 0.08% of wage earners. That, in a pie chart, that is such a slim thing, it wouldn't even show on our screen. Making $35,000 a year, 0.08%, you're in the top zero, eight, I don't even know what that means. It's so small, it's minuscule. It, it, it does not even compute. It's not on the chart. If, if you put it in different perspective, someone making $35,000 a year, it takes them two minutes to earn the money to purchase a can of Coke. If you're working in Indonesia and you're making the average wage in Indonesia labor, it takes you two hours to earn the money to purchase a can of Coke. This one actually blew away my mind a little bit more, but in Kazakhstan, for someone in America who's making $35,000 a year, that $35,000 a year could fund 131 doctors annually in Kazakhstan. We've got a lot of money around here. In fact, let me put it more blunt. If you had a choice of what to wear this morning, and some of us went through a whole gyration to figure out what we're gonna wear, you've got a lot of money. If you made a choice of what car to drive this morning, in the world's economy, you're crazy rich. 
And that's just the bottom line. Now, Jesus, though, he's not seeking all that money. He's seeking your heart. And so if, if Jesus were seeking actual dollars, if he was worried about dollar giving and not percentage giving, well, he wouldn't hang out in the poor places. He'd go to the rich places to try and get the most money he could. But he didn't make the ask for money. He didn't pass the plate. He used money as the example to win our hearts because where our treasure is, that's where our heart is also. If you follow your money, you will find your heart. Someone put it like this, a rich man without God is a poor man with money. A rich man without God is just a poor man with money. Let's get back to Jesus' words. Go to Matthew chapter 5, and this is where we spent the last two weeks, pulling some topics out of here. And if you look towards the latter part of Matthew chapter 5, you're going to see that Jesus is renewing the mind. And so what Jesus does, he says, you've heard this, but I say this. And that's a big part of the Sermon on the Mount. So he says, you've heard it said like this, but let me tell you this. Let me point out a few of those, and we've looked, we've looked at some. But he says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you, avoid anger and hatred. Verses 21 and 22. And so what Jesus is basically saying, he's saying, you know, it, yeah, you've heard it said don't murder, but it's not good enough to just avoid killing somebody. Listen to the spirit of it, the heart of it. Avoid anger and hatred. Think about this. He talks about adultery in verses 27 through 30. He says, you've heard it said don't commit adultery, but I say don't even lust with your eyes. It's not good enough to just not commit adultery. Jesus says, protect your eyes, protect your vision. You know, don't lust. Uh, he says on, on divorce, he says, uh, it's not good enough to just not divorce. He says, I say, live out your marriage commitments. I mean, do you want a spouse that's just grudging through and just staying married and not committing adultery? Or do you want a spouse that's living out their marriage commitments and is avoiding lust and is loving? Jesus is renewing the mind because we, we are hardwired default to look for an escape. We, we look at a rule and our initial reaction is, how can I escape that rule? If you don't believe me, April 15th is coming. And we're going to get what's ours, right? We look for loopholes. We look for a way of escape. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you're not going to search for loopholes. You're going to search how you can love me and others even more. Because you're going to be defined by that love. Anyone can say they're a Christ follower. But Christ followers do what Jesus says. Your values have to match your beliefs. Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5, I want to renew your mind because what you think is normal is really not working. Your normal is actually kind of messed up. I want to give you a new normal. In fact, I want you to be different is what Jesus says. But it, it's, it's better than that because not only does Jesus not want you to be normal and want you to be different, what you're going to find out is that he wants you to be refreshingly different 
Because when Christ followers give their heart to him and they are, they, they are following him, they are refreshingly different. He even says, you will be known. Your love, your, your love for each other will make you known to others. And it is by that love they're going to know that you're a follower of me. It's a mind change. Uh, our normal, when it comes to money, listen to this quote. Uh, this is great. Normal is getting dressed in clothes that you buy for work and driving through traffic in a car that you're still paying for in order to get the job you need to pay for the clothes, the car, and the house that you leave vacant all day so you can afford to live in it. <laughs> Normal is getting dressed in clothes that you buy for work and driving through traffic in a car you're still paying for in order to get the job you need to pay for the clothes and the car and the house you leave vacant all day so you can afford to live normal is killing us it is this rat race of just circular and, and it's defeating and jesus says i have a different way i have a di look at the birds in the sky they're not worrying about tomorrow they're free why aren't you free you're a follower of me you are serving money instead of serving me and giving my your heart to me in, in chapter six that's where he starts getting serious and he asks us to get eternally focused. He says, watch out, verse 1. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. Verse 3, when you give to someone in need, give your gifts in private. Your Father who sees everything will reward you. Verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who pray publicly out on the streets and, and want their glory. He says, your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't do all that. Don't babble on. Then he gives the, the example of the Lord's Prayer. And then he says this, and we in our culture, we should fast more. It's a wonderful way of worshiping, and God calls us to. He says, when you fast, comb your hair, take a bath, wash your face, then no one will notice you're fasting except the Father. That's what they would do in biblical times. When someone was fasting, they, would, uh, they wouldn't bathe, they wouldn't wash their face, they wouldn't shave. And, and you know that spiritual person that you've seen, you you somehow we admire them they're they're weak because they hadn't had food in an hour they hadn't shaved because they've been reading scripture all day they've apparently been locked up in their prayer closet doing something and, and what do we do oh look at that guy's bible it is just tore up you know that guy jesus says hey don't be that guy if you want to fast you want to you want to pray stand upright take a shower shave your face comb your hair and walk upright because the reward is from me, not from other people. When we do that, we're living for Christ's approval and not others. And then all that, he renews our mind, gives us a challenge of our heart, and now he hits money. And we get to that verse, store up treasures in heaven where moths and rust don't destroy. You know what he's telling them? Your normal is acquiring and protecting, acquiring and protecting. What was one of their greatest problems? Moths. The bugs, we have bug spray. Well, there's another problem with theirs, rust. We have paint. But we have the same problem. We're in that cycle of acquiring and protecting what we got. Requiring and protecting what we got. Jesus says this, leave your normal and find something refreshingly different. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And then he gives this strange verse that I skipped earlier, verses 22 and 23. It looks like they don't belong, but they do. He says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. 
When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. You know what Jesus is saying there? Your, your eye doesn't actually produce light, right? That'd be weird. Your eye, it, it reveals light around you. And so in that way, it is a lamp to your entire body. And, and he says, if, if your eye is unhealthy, then your body is going to be unhealthy. But if your eye is healthy, you know what? Your arms, your legs, your hands, your feet, they know what to do. If your eye is unhealthy, your arms, your legs, your hands, your feet, well, you're, just, you're, you're probably going to run into the wall. You're unhealthy. You don't know where to go. You're mixed up. You're confused. But Jesus says, keep a proper perspective with your eyes so that you can follow me and not be taken off track because a healthy eye, a healthy eye is good for the whole body. I say it many times. Uh, and, and, and don't get me wrong. When we talk about the eye, yes, we're talking about things you look at, the pornography, the, the, the bad movies, the TV that we shouldn't, you know, whatever it is in our life that we're filling our mind with, then, then we need to get that out. But, but it goes beyond that in the heart, that it goes beyond that just your perspective, your perspective of who you are and everything that your world is illuminated around you, who are you? Because your eyes shed light on who you want to be. Some of us are defined by our profession. Some of us are defined by our kids. Some of us are defined by our talents and, and what we can do. Some of us are defined by so many different things. And here's, here's what I say we should do. We need to, to grab our perspective and the light that we see when we open our eyes. I need to remind myself daily that I am not a dad. I am not a husband. And I am not an executive pastor. Here's what I am. I am a Christ follower who is a dad. What a different perspective. What a different light in my worldview. I am a husband. Nope. I am a Christ follower who is strategically placed as a husband for my wife. Am I an executive pastor? I am a Christ follower who is an executive pastor, strategically placed at Magnolia's first. You don't want an executive pastor. You don't want a senior pastor. You don't want a worship pastor. You don't want a connections pastor. You don't want a kids. You don't want any pastor here that is identified by being a pastor or anything else. You want people in place here that are identified as Christ followers who are strategically placed for what they do. Jesus wants teachers who are not just teachers, but they are Christ followers who happen to be teachers strategically placed in that school for his good. Fill in the blank, whatever you are. When you're going to the gym, when you're going to the store, when you're filling up your car with gas, when you're at work, what are you first? And your illuminated light of reflection on who you are, your worldview is, I am a Christ follower. And I am right here, right now, for a purpose. And I'm going to use it for his glory. And if you'll do that, it changes everything. A lost job is not near as serious. It's not. 
because if you're a Christ follower and God has your heart and you've given your heart to God, then it's tough. I'm not going to lie to you. But you know in your heart that God is going to take care because God, God is giving you a new assignment. He is going to strategically place you somewhere else. And you put your trust in him and he's going to see you through. I've never seen him not do it for someone who's putting their heart and their trust in him. I have seen people spend two years of their life miserable. But somehow they made it through. Then they were replaced, reassigned. And then they looked back on the last two years and said, why didn't I just trust God? I could have done so much with that two years of being without a job, without enough money that I thought I needed. I, I could have invested in the kingdom all that time, yet I worried. I panicked. Jesus wants to renew our mind, and he tells us you cannot serve two masters. Verse 24 no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despised by the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Two words there in the Greek. The word serve is, is from the, the root word slave. And so it literally means property of, belonging to, uh, and those connotations. And so you are a slave to it. And when you get to those words in the, the New Living Translation that we're reading from, the three little words, enslaved to money, that's actually one Greek word that's not used anywhere else in Scripture, uh, mamanos, and it's a negative connotation, meaning materialism. It's probably the best definition. And so being a slave to money, it has taken over you. It owns you, and so it controls you. You basically become the property of money because you are controlled by it. If you are going to be a Christ follower, you can't be partially owned by anything. God says you're going to follow me or nothing else because you can't serve two masters because I'm going to take care of your needs. Let me give you a couple next steps. The first one is, is our big idea, the application of follow your money to discover your heart. I give you a challenge. I'd ask you to go, and again, I'm not giving you percentages. I'm, I'm not here to do that today. I'm not even here to give you practical advice. I want you to find your heart. There's plenty of practical advice out there for giving and for budgeting. But I want to ask you this. Follow your money, and you'll discover your heart. I want to ask you three things that you would categorize and follow your money. Follow your money and see how much in the category is going to God. Follow your money and see how much of that money is going to the category of family. And then follow your money and see how much is going to the category of self. And maybe you'd throw in a few other categories, but those would just be interesting to me to take, take our budgets, look at it, and see, you know what, what am I giving to God? And, and, and then what am I giving to family? What am I giving to, to self? The percentages might surprise you in what we do. Find a proper priority. And again, I'm not giving you percentages or defining it. I'm just saying those percentages, not the number, just you might be surprised where you'll find that your heart really is. The second next step I would give you is uh, it's actually very simple and it comes into the context of I'm not going to define what your budget should look like. I'm just going to ask you, number two, give more. Give more. And I'm not going to apologize for saying give more to your local church. I'm a firm believer in this church. You should be because you're here. If you're not, find a church that you can firmly believe in. 
give more and see what God will do with it. I believe the church is the hope for the world, is how it's quoted. The church is literally the hope for the world that Jesus instituted. I believe our, 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 our money to God should start here, but then we should also give elsewhere. I'm not saying give solely to here, but I am saying give more, give more to the ministries of here so that they can reflect out there and so that we can not just engage here, but engage out in our communities and do amazing things. Give more with your money. Give more with the time that you have. And see what God will do with that. I just challenge you to do that. Because here's what I can say. Right now you might be mistaking my motives. I promise you my motives are pure. Promise you that. And I can also promise you that God's motives are pure. Because God never made the ask. I didn't give you a dollar figure. I'm just saying trust him with more. And, and God did not seek your pocketbook. He is seeking your heart. If you will throw some of your pocketbook into God's kingdom, you're going to follow it. You're going to get interested in it. And your heart is going to be rejuvenated with seeing what God is doing because all of a sudden, your money is where your mouth is. And we're really interested where our money is. And so let God... He talks about it a lot. Let God take that part of your life and give it to him and see what he does with it. I promise you, he has a lot that he wants to do uh, in your life. I got one last quote. I want it to be the big idea, but I couldn't make it the big idea, so I just have to say it. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. So invest in the kingdom. Make sure you're investing in eternal things. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you've done for us. And Father, I pray that my words are heard clearly, and I pray that my heart is heard clearly. It's never comfortable to talk about money, and you knew that because you talked about it so much. But Father, I pray that my heart has been clear that, that you have not made an ask for money. I am certainly not making an ask for money. Father, we want hearts to be turned to you because we want people to experience what you experience. And so, Father, whatever it is, whatever it is that we have made a God in our life over you, I pray that we would turn that over and let you have it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. I hope you have a great week.